Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. I just, there's just, I'm bored. I'm really bored. We haven't done a podcast in a while. I have a backlog, which I said I was going to take care of before I recorded anymore, but here we are. I don't know how many I got left to do. There's a lot. Um, let me check. I did one recently. I did. Um, I have 23 left. To, <laughs> no, 22. No. No. Did I do a writer's table last? Um, so I have 20. No, we did a writing and junk. I mean that I put up, not that we did. Oh. Uh, the last one, yeah, the last one you put up was a writer's table. So yeah, so I have 20 pending. Well, some of them look like, maybe not 20, because I see one where it's two parts of the same episode. And then we have that um, day where we did those three podcasts and then I got a migraine and I had to lay down like a pansy. I have three hours of that, which will probably end up being one podcast, not one, not three. So, <clears throat> yeah, if I post those, I'm, I'm not even sure what they are. I, it's been too long. Those are, that's the, uh, when we did the writer, the write-in and we did like, we talked about like plotting and writing stuff in between, but we, yeah, I mean, um, you could put them in a share folder. I could listen to them and see if they're worth yeah, making okay. into an actual podcast. Okay. Um, so yeah, roughly 17, 18 to do. Um, and they all uh, <clears throat> have to be edited uh, to remove uh, big spaces of silence and to clean up the audio files sometimes. And, you know, my voice was fine until I decided I wanted to do a podcast. And now I sound like this. <clears throat> I got nothing. But I have do you no. have water? The question is, do you have water? I do have, well, or... I have tea. I have, you have tea throat, and... You have, you have throat lubrication. I have tea. <laughs> I have tea and water. <laughs> I wrote something this week um, that made me cry. And I was like, why am I doing this stuff to me, myself, this to myself, even as I wrote it? Is this what you posted? The thing you posted? Yes. yes. Yeah, especially since you intended to write, sec what was it, you said, sexy fluff or something? I was going to write sexy fluff and... That's what I and wrote you, instead. I mean, you like rip your guts out, yeah, and my guts out, and everybody else's guts out. Just tear my own heart out. And I don't know what that is, but earlier in the month, someone pointed out that they were really digging the the tone of my writing lately and my exploration of fatherhood. And I've been thinking about that, and I was like, "Did you skip that whole part where I wrote what might have been for two years?" <laughs> because y'all. My daddy issues have always been on display. I'm just, I'm saying, did you not notice? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it is, you know, it is interesting uh, to explore a dynamic that I really have precious little experience with. Um, my mother married uh, later in my life. It's a good man. And he took care and he was you know, it's a great stepfather um but i did not have that paternal love growing up um and my stepfather wasn't into the picture until i was already close to puberty so there is this disconnect do, do you see what this boy just did to me all right fetus go to the corner <laughs> <laughs> sebastian shepherd I take this kind of thing from you. But, um, it's, uh, so I do, I, 
that is a theme that is going to to show up in my writing a lot. Uh, it showed up um, unexpectedly in Unleash Your Demons. Uh, it's that there was a little bit of that tone there going into it when I was doing the zero draft for it, but that wasn't my intention when I was zero drafting to go into that found family element that ended up being pervasive in Unleash Your Demons. That wasn't my original intent. So I had to do a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I had to do a lot of, I had to do some editing to my zero draft in the midst of writing uh, Unleash Your Demons because though those elements kind of snuck into your narr- my narrative and that, and that happens. Yeah, you did. And I remember you having to go back and kind of edit some of your, or tweak some of your plotting because it didn't fit with the tone what? you were writing, which you've talked about before about the changing um, Nebula's trajectory in the story because it didn't fit with that, with her and Tony's, you know, the re- relationship as you wrote it. Um, which is an important part of the writing process is that it's more important that they, the two things have to sync up. Your plot needs to sync up with what you wrote. So if if they get out of out of joint, if they get out of sync, you've got to stop and um and and reconcile the two. And some people really have a hard time with that. They have a hard time either changing their plot or changing what they wrote until they just stall out. And like one of the things that's interesting I think about 911 as a fandom is that there is a a child with a good father in in the canon. Um which makes it a a fandom uh, that's I think really primed for uh, fatherhood oriented stories. That said, I think it's interesting how often you read stories. Of, I mean, I want to see that stuff, right? If you're going to talk to me about it, I let think, me see it. I think that often people are. I think that people might be afraid to write, Christopher. Why? Afraid they'll get it wrong? Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, maybe. I mean, I think we're often... I think sometimes any character people can approach and feel concerned about getting him wrong. get Or getting them wrong. Um, but the only thing worse I see in the 911 fandom is... Um, and I do consider it to be worse. Is that when I see writers focusing on his CP to the degree that it looks like fetishism. Um... I don't want to give any specific examples because they'll stand out in the fandom. It's just, I don't want to, I don't want to, because, because there's this one author who does this and I, I, I don't want to pick on them. Um, and I'm sure they're doing it to kind of, you know, bring awareness, but it, when I write Christopher, I don't write him any differently than I would write any other child. But I see sometimes in 911 where his disability comes first. Yeah it's it can be handled very sometimes very oddly so either there's this weird talk about christopher but actually erase him from the story in in terms of on-screen time or or handle him really oddly which is weird because i think canon sets a really good precedent for how to handle christopher um but the interesting thing is i think that one of the things i thought was interesting about like eddie as a father was that eddie really lets um Christopher define his own limits. He doesn't push limitations on Christopher, which I thought was really good parenting from him. And 
so he like you could see like in the first scene we see with Eddie and Christopher together, you could see Eddie kind of wanting to help, but he holds himself back and lets Christopher ask for help if he wants it. And when he's told by his abuela to help Christopher, um, Eddie says no, he wants to do it himself. But clearly Eddie's ready to step in and help. Um, and it's important to do with any child. Yeah, any kid. And I think that Eddie tries to treat Christopher as much as possible, like he's, while being aware that Christopher has special needs, but still treat him like he's a kid, just a kid. Um, so I think Eddie does a really good job of being a good father and of walking, uh, really walking a delicate balance in, in canon. So I found like one of the most like really difficultly offensive things I and I've seen it more more than one time, but I nope out every time, is when Eddie is written as pushing independence on Christopher. Like a story, I read a story written from Christopher's point of view, where Christopher was hurting and struggling and really wishing he could ask for help, but that and you know, Daddy makes me do all this stuff on my own, and I was like, nope. Nope, nope, nope. I'm a hundred percent done. But uh, no, I would have noped out so hard, you guys would have heard it. He's like, what was that? Oh, that was Kira. No, I got the thick on nine one on on AO three. Ouch. Yeah, it was just it was really painful because it was like you know, Daddy. It was like Daddy always wants me to walk after PT, no matter how much I'm hurting or how difficult it is to use my crutches. And I was like, Ugh. Oh, I went I can't. Bad. I, I mean, went I, yeah, noping out of that thick. If I'd have been reading it, but I wasn't. My my nope was broke the sound barrier. It was it was it was. I had to go. Um. Yeah, I, I never got further than, than that paragraph from Christopher's point of view because it felt terrible. Um, and especially because I felt like it really defied, it really kind of set back Eddie's canon characterization in a lot of ways. Mm. And Eddie's got problems in his canon characterization, but it's not in regards to how much he loves and supports his son. And nurtures his son. Because that's a big factor, I think, when, when I have looked at scenes with Eddie and Christopher is that he is a very nurturing parent. Um, and that you see him kind of holding himself back emotionally with other people, but never with Christopher. He's really yeah. open with Christopher in a way that he isn't with others. And I, um, that doesn't speak to that kind of dialogue. No, it doesn't. It just kind of, so, I mean, I like stories that kind of push like what we, you know, go beyond what we see in Canon. I don't like, it when when fan fiction ruins the good parts of canon so when you take a a good parent child relationship and ruin it that is not what i'm looking for from fan fiction and i know people don't some the people who wrote that probably don't look at that as ruining it but you know and this is borderline character assassination yeah and, and and a story obviously from the summary or otherwise i wouldn't have read it was not intended to be portraying eddie as a dick but that it did it did assassinate Eddie's characterization to me. Yeah, Dark says what I what I read from Eddie and Chris is that Eddie wants his son to grow up differently from him and never feel the need to repress his feelings. I agree. Um, he wants Christopher to be open and uh, to the world in a way that he he wasn't, and to feel like he can express himself in ways Eddie he doesn't want to be emotionally stifled the way Eddie is so I think Eddie's aware of his limitations and he doesn't want those limitations for Christopher so that Eddie would to, to write Eddie in that way um is just it's painful to read really painful there are a lot of broken relationships that you can 
right on 911 um that you don't need to attack the one that's not yeah i mean you know i'm i'm over i'm totally over post lawsuit fix for the most part unless it's a good fix it for it but you know i would rather somebody dive in and, and rehash you know buck living in a tent on the outskirts of um of parking lot <laughs> in the out yeah out in the parking lot then that ruined christopher and eddie's relationship i told julie that i stopped watching the show at the lawsuit like when he served bobby papers that was the last episode i watched because i didn't want to watch this big giant arc about the lawsuit because fandom made it sound like that buck got shunned and had to live in the parking lot at the edge of the village in a little hut by himself when apparently it only lasted a half hour right it did that less less um and the funny thing is i tell i've told everybody it's like it's really a blip it's a blip and so like um one of the one of the mods in server v she was she watched she got through that episode fairly recently and she's like oh she said i'm more mad at the bad lawyering than i am about what's going on with you know the characters because it's nothing it was nothing the character interactions it was a little tense a couple times of course it was tense you know, the show likes to draw out the drama and the angst. Um, but it was tense for a half hour. Uh, well, actually, like half of a show. So like 20 minutes of one show and like 10 minutes of another. But like she said, she was, I was more mad about the bad lawyer. <laughs> I but, do like a fix-it where Buck gets, um, has a different perspective about what's happening. Um, and doesn't go to that scummy lawyer, but still gets his point across, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm working on a, on, I'm, I like things that av avoid the lawsuit, but it still happens. I'm working on something now where it's set between the tsunami and the lawsuit and it averts the lawsuit. I've had a few ideas set between those things, but you know, I made, I think I made the point adequately in my quantum bang that I don't think personally that Buck was wrong to sue. Um, no, he should have gone through his union, but he wasn't wrong. So, um, but the funny thing is there's this take in fandom sometimes that Buck was so wrong for telling all that stuff and betraying all these people he worked with. And it's like, even, even if Chase Mackey was a bad lawyer, which he might be a scummy lawyer and a bad lawyer are not the same thing. Okay. And there's nothing in Canon. He got Buck a $5 million settlement. So there's nothing in Canon that says that he was a bad lawyer. He's a scummy lawyer, but he's not a bad lawyer. Um, he, there's no way he goes into a deposition taking his client's word for anything. A good lawyer doesn't do that. They verify. So there was discovery. There was probably a private detective absolutely and so he would have had to, he would have done independent verification of everything buck told him and found things buck didn't tell him because that's his job he would not bring up a single thing that was his client's word alone because that could blow up in his face and a lawyer of his a good lawyer does not go into a deposition not knowing what answers they're going to get as much as possible so I am working on that 911 San Andreas crossover demo, so just hold on to your butt. I am super excited about that myself. But, you know, honestly, I, I only watch San Andreas for, for The Rock. For The Rock, right? For that big arm. <laughs> That's Because it. it's a big arm in every movie he's in, and not it's just in a big arm. It's, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Don't feel bad. <laughs> I, not um... That. 
Not that, not that I'm going to write a crappy, or not that I'm going to write a, a a really bad earthquake because I don't need to drop California in the ocean. Um, I actually could well, that you don't of, live there, you know. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't watch San Andreas while I lived in California because I'm like, nope, nope. I live too close to that fault. Fuck that. <laughs> I you know I love The Rock. I I love his big stupid movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. The bigger, the better. And the best thing that they ever did was give me a big giant monkey, which I also love big giant monkey movies, and The Rock in the same you know, movie. <laughs> it, it, it cemented why I like him when I read that he backed out of the movie when he read the final script. He's like, nope, nope, I can't do this. Because they killed George in Rampage in the original draft. And he was like, no. He says, he's like, my my view, my people who watch my movies come to me for a specific kind of feeling at the end of the movies. And the dead George is not the kind of thing they come to watch my movies to get. And so they changed the script so that he would stay on the project. And let I appreciate live. that because it would have been terrible if, if George had died. I, I got teary over his dumb joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, it's just like but I love The Rock, so if Georgia died, we'd have had to riot. <laughs> it would have been awful. Anyways, I, I love a big giant monkey movie, and I love a rock movie, so Rampage was perfect. I loved it. It was it was just as good as Tom Hiddleston's perfect t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Now you just need <laughs> The Rock and a, and a giant monkey and, and Tom Hiddleston's perfect t-shirt in the same movie. I mean... That would have been better if Tom Hiddleston had played the part of the scientist mm-hmm. in his perfect t-shirt. His perfect t-shirt. In um, Kong Skull Island, another another giant monkey movie, um, Tom Hiddleston, I don't know what it is about that blue t-shirt, but it just, it held up very well. It held up very well. I mean, he goes throughout this whole movie, and this t-shirt is perfect the entire time. Everybody else gets filthy. He's walking around like a fucking supermodel. <laughs> that t-shirt never gets stretched out. Um, let's see if I can... Oh, there it is. Lady Holder got one. I was searching for one, too. This is later, because you can see it's got sweat stains. But still, you know... It it, it, it just... It holds up. It it does its it, job. It, it's just... It's, it's very strategically placed sweat as well, isn't it? It's just like... <laughs> Look at my dick. <laughs> and 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 it, it it certainly didn't hurt that they gave him a shoulder holster for a good chunk of the movie. Right? <laughs> I mean, he had perfect jeans too, but we were very distracted by the shirt. But yeah, I mean, you know, so I've been having a lot of fun riding in 911. It's um I like the dynamic between Buck and Eddie, and I like exploring it um what I don't like to see, and I see a lot of it in the fandom, is internalized homophobia. I, I get, I get, I get where people think that makes sense because it does with Eddie's uh, Eddie's upbringing, Catholic, um, uh, Latino from Texas. Yeah, it probably makes sense that that could be an internal conflict for him. But I just, I really hate reading that as. As a character's main internal conflict, it just drives me bonkers. So, I 
there's actually there's there's a writer who's very good very good wordcraft and i would say about 50 percent of the time that's her main internal conflict so i just can't read her because i just i mean i would get bored but this is also that came out of my mouth and i'm the woman who consistently writes daddy issues all over the place well but using a uh, that's daddy issues is in, in your the way that comes out is you basically write kid fic so that's a little bit, you know, that being a, you're basically writing in a. A trope. What? Yeah. I mean, you're basically writing a trope to work through that, but it, it's not like you're just writing the same internal consistent, same internal motivation all the time. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I work, I try to bring in different kinds of conflict into my work, um, but I yeah, do find the internal homophobia difficult. Yeah. Um, and your characters aren't working out. They might be working out daddy issues, but they aren't necessarily. Like, I don't see that in a lot of your Buck and Eddie work, that they're working out their daddy issues. No, because if Eddie has anything, it's mom issues. Yeah. And I think Buck is more likely to have mom issues, too. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. I, but this is just partially an issue for me, personally, is I just am not interested in reading about internalized homophobia. Um, um, I don't really enjoy reading anything about self-hatred. Yeah, I agree. And self-abuse. I don't enjoy it. That isn't something that um, I want to see explored, personally. So we get the... We get the internalized homophobia for Eddie, but for Buck, it's usually more just some sort of generalized internalized hatred. Um, and I don't like reading that either. Or there's, he's there's an a, emotional hot mess who curls into a little ball and cries in the locker room. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, there's. I'm like, something. dudes, have you seen this man? He is not ever, ever, probably since he was 15 or 16 years old, been able to curl up into a little ball. Right. But. Aside from the physical improbability, I read, a, read something recently. I was like, I got done. I got to the end of it, and I managed to get through, I managed to get through the whole thing. But, you know, like a night. It's nine and one thick. It wasn't very long. Um, right. And I was like, I think he was a literal infant in this, stuck in a six foot two body, and everybody treated him him like it. I'm kind of horrified. I'm glad you didn't give me this link. Oh, why would I do that to you? Um, I don't. I don't pass on my train wrecks usually. Um, but it was just, it was so startling. But I, I, Buck is emotional in canon. There's no doubt about that. But he doesn't, he usually is crying. And when he cries, it's usually at happy stuff, honestly. Um, but aside from that, he's... Um, and that one time when the liar truck fell on him. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> that one time when he was pinned under a fire truck. Um, I actually started writing something where um, Buck... Where you know Eddie and Eddie and Anna are talking, and she's kind of taking um, um, Eddie to task for you know being more focused on Buck after he woke up after being shot than on her. And Eddie kind of gives her a perspective that about because she didn't didn't know about the fire the fire trigger. He gives her the perspective that his one of his last clear memories aside from Buck being covered in blood was that scene you see which I think and I know you've seen the pictures of Buck and Eddie reaching out for each other where Buck is under the fire truck and Eddie is lying on the ground. Yeah I watched all out. that on YouTube. <laughs> yeah so Eddie gives her he, Eddie tells her um, that um, after Buck was pinned under the fire truck that you know they do a lot of the maintenance on the fire trucks and you know that one of the things that you know um bobby after the fire truck the bombing bobby never signed um that maintenance on the fire truck to bought to buck again because no one could deal for their own emotional health with seeing buck under a fire truck again 
and that one of his last clear memories was seeing Buck under that fire truck, and that Buck had climbed under a fire truck for the first time since he'd been crushed under one to pull Eddie to safety, and that yes, that was that that Eddie's shooting didn't just happen to him; it happened to Buck too. One and of the more interesting moments in that scene is when Buck, when that captain lets him go, Buck moves immediately. He just rolls right under that fire truck, doesn't hesitate. Doesn't I mean, it's like immediate. The, the moment he's free to do so, he rolls over it under that fire truck and starts moving. He gets Eddie to safety immediately. And there's, and he, he lifts Eddie and throws him into that fire truck. And um, I don't know if that was a stunt double or if that was actually the actor um but either way they'd have been about the same body size and type that actor weighs about 145 pounds and oliver stark picked him up and tossed him up into that fire truck like he weighed nothing and i know the circumstances were awful but that's hot (laughs) it was hot yeah (laughs) that's hot like hell (laughs) so it but you know i mean it had to be, you know, I mean, Eddie probably has only a couple of vague memories of that thing. And clearly he and Buck were staring at each other when they were laying on the ground. So I think, you know, in my mind, he's probably got, and, and he kind of came out of his days, his pain days to ask Buck in the fire truck, are you, are you hurt? Cause he saw the blood on him. Um, so I've, you know, in my head, he's got like three clear memories and they all are about Buck. They're not about himself. One was um, seeing the blood spatter on Buck. Then Buck being under the fire truck reaching for him. And then them being in the fire truck and Buck covered in blood. And um, so I decided to to write a conversation between Eddie and Anna about Anna, you know, lack of ability to understand what had happened. And anyway, it's, 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 it's a whole, it's a whole, there's a whole, there's some other stuff going on. But um, that's one of the things he points out to her is that. Um, for him, seeing Buck under a fire truck was was difficult, and that that was one of the first things he was thinking about when he woke up was that Buck was under a fire truck, and why the fuck was that going on? That that image was what was stuck in his head. One of the and other him, parts of nine one one that I have a problem with is the Anna Flores bashing. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind people breaking Eddie and Anna up. I don't mind people not liking her. I, I mean, but wow, they people make her completely psychotic. Nuts. I mean, when I wrote. Uh, which one was that? Love Wide Open, which, you know, honestly, that was one of my favorite poems, and I've never been able to figure out how to use part of that poem in the title before, so I was really pleased to be able to do that and have it make sense to me for the context. Anyways, that's... I, di- I digressed. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wanted to... G- <laughs> I wanted to give... I wanted to give that some meat and some reality... Um, but it wasn't my intention to bash her. They just have different perspectives. And she's um, she's not a mother. She's not a parent. And she doesn't... She's not connecting with Christopher. Um, she's connecting with his disability. And that's right. what I... But, but someone um, made a comment that I didn't approve on my site about... Um, they enjoy the Anna bashing. And I'm thinking, you know what? I didn't actually bash her character. And that presenting someone's flaw isn't bashing. But then I was like, for some people, that's that's all they want. You know? So, you see what you're going to see. Anyway, it was, I was just a little frustrated. Because that's one of my biggest, one of my bigger issues in 911. I do read those fix because I get bored. But, um, 
They're crazy. They're crazy cakes. Oh yeah, there. I mean, there was one I was reading. I actually didn't get all the way through it because the author really went way too far with Anna being a nutter butter. I mean, it was like I don't understand how she could hold down a job and be that unhinged. It was it was really bad. And um, but in one of the author notes, she asked people to please dial down the comments because people were making really violent comments apparently about what should be done to Anna and you know how she should be killed. And I was like. I mean, I didn't go read the comments because I wasn't interested in getting that in my head. And apparently the author, I think, was also deleting some of those comments. But, um, well, <laughs> but it was, it was like, I mean, she did make right Anna's being really crazy. But so to some degree, I mean, you're going to get some of those kinds of comments. But writing a character, so like, um, I'm writing Anna as being kind of passive aggressive. That's kind of her approach to dealing with things when she's not happy as passive aggressive. Um, that's a trait that's legitimate. That, that is a, that is a way that some people learn how to deal with conflict is by being passive aggressive. Um, it doesn't. It's not bashing to give her that trait. It's not. I it's see just, it, it as a beautiful, educated woman who's used to getting what she wants. Yeah, and, and I, could I even believe she'd it. probably react badly to be broken up with, just like I would, because yeah. I <laughs> I got dumped once by a man. I was like, what? Motherfucker, what? You be but you she, been dating um, up for a month. What what? <laughs> but she um I could see her also being and this is not necessarily people people sometimes do things that are understandable from their point of view that are not understandable from somebody else's point of view. And if Anna did some, let's say she did some manipulative things to cement her place in Eddie's life because she was feeling threatened by, say, Buck's importance to Eddie and Christopher. Um, maybe not outright lying or whatever. It might be understandable from her point of view. And maybe even her friends or her family or people close to her would understand why she would do those kinds of things. And maybe even somebody else who could understand why she would feel threatened by Eddie's closeness with Buck or Eddie's closeness with his with his um um teammates. So it doesn't necessarily well, make say, it doesn't make her it doesn't make her evil. It just makes no. her human. What I would also say is there is no fucking way that I would date Eddie Diaz because his work husband already has all the spots in his life that a woman should take. Right. He's a bad relationship prospect. But and the thing is This man is not dateable. He's fuckable, but he's not dateable. Right. And the thing is, Anna could... And if you're lucky, he might bring his best friend, too. <laughs> Anna could figure out how to... Um, I think the best way to get to get close with Eddie is to get close with the people Eddie's close to. But I don't see her being... I literally... This is what I... What little we see in canon, I don't see her being the kind of person who is going to get close to anybody, but try to get close to anybody but Christopher. Um, and we don't know much about her in canon because pretty much she's just a pretty flyby most of the time. And the only thing we know about her outside of being a teacher and a good cook and is it is, is there was that little bit of ableism in that conversation she had with Eddie about Christopher's limitations. And apparently she didn't ask about Christopher while Eddie was in the hospital. Not on screen. No. Okay. Not that we saw. 
I mean, Buck was with Christopher solely and Anna was, was mostly the person with Eddie in the hospital. I have read one of those, Ellie, and um, it was shocking. I don't want to say out loud on the podcast what you're what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> I've now seen it in several. I, well, I won't say I'm right honestly surprised there's not more of it. Yeah. Um, it especially happens in situations where Buck is known to be. Um, yeah. I, you know, um, that is one theme that I would like to see erased from 911. Just let's just take it out. Just let it go. Let it go. I will read. Anna bashing all day over that. There's one story where that comes from um, Eddie's parents. I want to target El Paso and kick fictional people's butts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it's um it's a difficult thing. Um, it has nothing to do, but you know, uh, nothing to do with it at all. But people, people. The thing is, we know it has nothing to do, but people have in real life. People have gone there. People have gone there. It's sort of like the sex with ducks thing, right? Um, Which honestly, that's the funniest fucking thing on YouTube. It is. If you haven't, if you haven't watched the sex with ducks video, you need to go. Could someone get watch the link to sex with ducks sex video? With ducks. I mean, get the link, would you? You'll need headphones for that, baby. Make sure you put them on. You don't want your daddies to see hear that. They'll I mean, think we're correcting when, you. And they were talking about. Um, so the sex with ducks thing, when they're talking about legalizing gay marriage, um, there was this whole thing about from from conservatives about how it was a slippery slope to legalize gay marriage because, you know, the next thing you know, it'd be legalizing, um, legalizing marriage with animals. And I think everybody kind of paused and went, what? <laughs> what are you talking what? about? The, the, there's no slippery slope between those two things. Um, and that's where the sex Milk with away. Ducks, yeah. That's where the sex with ducks video came from. Um, Dark Serafina found the video for you. So it's hysterical. Um, but <laughs> there's also one little thing. It's not little, actually. It's heinous. And I wish they would stop. And I see it most in 911 before I see it anywhere else. No beta, we die like, insert character's name. The only one of those that I've appreciated and laughed about was no beta, we die like Eddie and Buck's heterosexuality. Okay, well, it's not like a character's name because I, I was like, no beta, we die like Patricia Clark. Shut up. What's wrong with you? That's just, well, the one that I mean, I actually wouldn't read a fic that actually had the no beta, we die like Shannon Diaz. I was like, I saw <gasps> that. I did not read it either. I was like, nope, I can't even. No beta, we die like Carlos Sherpa. <laughs> I can get behind that one. TK ripped that shirt die off. Those, buttons those die. Those, those shirt <laughs> buttons were a casualty of TK's enthusiasm. <laughs> buttons going down. I appreciate that one. But what is wrong with these people? Although I did see one earlier today was no, no, no beta, we die like Spartans. I can get behind that. I can get behind yeah. that. But you put people's characters' names on there. Gross. Come on. It is terrible. There was one of some, like there was one I was like, why do you think it's appropriate? It was something like no beta we die like that woman in the tsunami, and I was like, oh, that woman who floated by in the tsunami, and I went, wow, that's in poor taste. I wonder, you know, part of me think I wonder if they do it out of you know, some kind of sarcasm, but it's I inappropriate it's, sarcasm either way. It feels competitive, like trying to one up each other. Just be as but awful as possible. Oh. 
don't need the tags to be the dead dove aspect of the story, you know? I don't know who handles the AO3 plugin thing, but I would like to make a request to the world about the AO3 maintenance plugin thing that I use on my browser to filter fix for me. I would like them to add a feature where I can determine how many tags I'm allowed to see before it hides a fix. That number is about 10. Well, but you're going to lose most of your fix there. I mean, most people, the thing is people tag for everything now and they think they need to. And the, the, they're people like, especially you like a number one. You don't need to tag the characters' names. You don't, We know who's in the show. Especially because they tag every single character who appears on screen. And it's like, if you're going to tag, at least tag only the characters. If you're going to tag characters, at least only tag the characters who are central to the storyline. Not every character. Like, I saw somebody tagging. it. They had um, Eddie's sister. Eddie's sister is a tertiary character at best. They had her sister's children in the story. And they were functioning in a tertiary role. And... They tagged the story for OC children. Who gives a fuck? And I was thinking OC children. At the children, very like, least, I should, be, I should be able to hide the tags. It's just right. like says, like, OC 10 children. tags plus 50 more. OC children. If I see OC child, Buck and Eddie better be adopting. Right? It's you not know, too much I, to ask. You know? I mean, come on. Um, there better be but, a cute baby. But, I mean, people feel like they need to tag for every single thing in the story. And it's like, and they and they use the tags in lieu of being able to write a summary. So, I mean, that's that's a whole thing. And honestly, sometimes I feel like they're over-tagging. It's like, I feel like I know the whole story from the summary. When your story's only 2,000 words and you've got 50 tags, um, yeah, I know the whole story now. I want to write Mail Prague in 911. I think I, I support this mission. I actually am thinking about it for, I had plotted, I had plotted two books for, um, I kind of stalled out on this, actually, this idea. I'd plotted two books for Believer. And I got this idea that Styles was warning um, um, Buck that some magical people, and, and especially Faye, if they have Faye, or sparks were um, sometimes falling, men were males were falling pregnant, and that he just needed to kind of w- watch what he was believing in. <laughs> careful, careful. So I kind of I stalled out on that idea because I'm still kind of thinking about it. I like the idea of Eddie being Christopher's birth parent. That'd be interesting. And that him bringing his son to Los Angeles after. Um, Shannon leaves him and I think I'd want to make Shannon a, a, a man I would even have to change the name yeah pretty interesting Eddie being his birth parent oh, I thought it was very interesting the idea yeah. of it um, I just started reading a series actually I'm not going to wreck it because I've only gotten through like the first two parts of it um, and I think there's like ten parts in the series where Buck is trans and accidentally falls pregnant um, good so far, um, but it's it's a different um, exploration. Well, after you finish reading it, if you think that it won't mess me up, you can send me a link. Okay. I'm not about. I'm not saying that trans triggers me because that's not what I'm saying. Uh, for those of you who um, don't know, I have issues with um, sexual violence, and so when my friends are reading things, um, I ask them to kind of keep an eye out for me on that. And it's not about his um, his. Or her 
being trans. It isn't about that. It's about that kind of violence, um, which is honestly something that uh, happens to trans people a lot. Yeah. And it wouldn't be an unrealistic plot point. I don't see any tags for, for violence. Um, yeah, I think there's one. I think that the um, one part um, is tagged for um, this morphia because, I mean, Buck's been been through, like, top surgery and stuff and living. Um, oh, I think he, I think in the story he, he changed his name um, and started um, gender confirmation and stuff when he was a teenager. As, if I remember correctly so far. Um, so that comes up, but I was, I would imagine pregnancy would, I, I, it, it makes sense to me that pregnancy would create some issues for him. But um, like I said, that's tagged in a I mean, part. Pregnancy fucks up people regardless of their gender identity. <laughs> so why wouldn't it? You know, pregnancy can fuck you up. It, it, there's the hormones. There's the bo- there's the immense body changes. I mean, even your bone structure changes. Yeah, your so hips st- spread. I mean, honestly, honestly, the series is written by someone who's trans. So um, I'm I'm I have some hope. So what I've read so far, um, is, like I said, what I read so far is good. But when I get to the end of the series, I will I will let you know. Awesome. Um, I, w- I would like to read a good one, but I'm I'm afraid of them because of the themes that are realistic in those stories can be very triggery for me. You know? Yeah. I don't want to lay eggs. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. That's actually, you know, we still do lay eggs. You know? I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It, it, they don't leave my body, <laughs> but they, they are... The, these eggs are emerging from my ovum um, like clockwork. I've got one leaving the ovum right now, actually. It'll make landfall in my uterus in about three days and then die. Just saying. <laughs> landfall. <laughs> it's a fucking hurricane. But you know what? I think that the menstrual cycle could be considered like a hurricane. Speaking of which, it, I, I put a, a line in a fic I wrote today that made me laugh my ass off. Which line is that? Running like her tampon string was on fire. Oh yeah, that was good. So, anyways, you gotta amuse yourself, especially when you're writing something that's kind of angsty. At least I gotta amuse myself so I don't end up being a big, uh, big pile of tears, a whirlpool in hell. I'm, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm done. I'd like to turn so my card in. <laughs> for those who want it, this is the series. I haven't finished it, so read at your own risk. But Kira, I'm not recommending that to you yet because I haven't finished okay. it. Okay. I don't know, you know, I really enjoy being in a new fandom, but I will say, I will say this, I enjoy more coming into a fandom late, because I have more to read. Well, you know, I mean, there's, yes, I will say there's actually a fair bit in 911 for how newish the fandom is. The problem is, is it doesn't engender long stories, which is why it feels like there's not much there, because they're right. well, they're, I think they're close to 11,000 stories at this point, which I think pushing is the size of NCIS, and NCIS has been like there for almost 20 years. Um, but they're tiny. <laughs> Here I am complaining about that. I posted three fix, and they're all about 5,000 words each. Yeah, I mean, th- but they're all, that's, that's when if you're kind of moving into, like, episode code is especially you're going to be shorter. I get it. Um, 
you kind of have to with with a procedural you kind of have to work a little bit to get into the um a longer story i was reading a longer story recently and i got really frustrated with it because i would say about let's say it's forty thousand words i would say about fifteen thousand words of it was rehashing stuff from episodes and Yes, they needed to write 911 calls and stuff, but write your own 911 calls. Because why regurgitate what was in the show? I mean, unless you need to center something in the plot around something that happened in canon. Oh, we, oh they passed 11,000. Wow. Okay. It was just 10,000 a little while ago. That fandom is booming. Um, yes, Toasters, like Lady Holder. Toasters. <laughs> um, it was but, a good toaster, too. <laughs> he ruined that really expensive toaster um <laughs> if if you I may mean, i just don't see unless you need to focus on something that happened on a call as part of your storyline right come up with other calls i mean it's really easy to find fodder for 911 calls just regurgitating what happened on the show is tedious right I think, I think we see that a lot um with new writers in in fandom we see it in harry potter where they're basically retelling the, the, the books if you guys can hear that howling that's chronos he's outside um he's probably hearing a siren in the distance he's a husky and they have really 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 good hearing um and he can usually hear a cop car or a ambulance or a fire truck up to five miles away so he'll hear it well before I will, and he'll be out in the backyard howling like his he wants to get on the truck. I don't know what <laughs> He's ready to serve and wake the neighbors. <laughs> that's a that's a good dog. I mean, I um, I got. I mean, I mo all of my calls came from either the calls I used in my stories either came from stuff I've I've heard about over the years or um, from googling about nine one one calls. I mean, it's easy to it's easy to come up with your own stuff. Even the lady who thought the park was on fire—that was an actual nine one one call that I read about because she had because she hadn't seen the sunrise in so many years that she because she, she changed shifts. I was like, okay, I can work with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like you know, I do enjoy like when I first came into the Sentinel, there was a fuck ton of stuff to read. It was like, and it's all for free. <laughs> I was so excited. And then I moved into Stargate. Same thing. I had a whole bunch to read. And it was all for free. And both it was amazing. Those, and both those fandoms, though, have a lot of really long works. Really, especially yeah, they like, do. Boy, some of the Sentinel fix were like four or 500,000 words. Like, holy I got spoiled rotten. I got spoiled right? rotten by Stargate. Not only was there a lot to read, but there were a lot of really talented writers in Stargate. Um who came from the Sentinel and who and who also came from the X Files, and so it was really. I mean, they came into Stargate seasoned and ready to go, and they knocked it out of the park like ninety five percent of the time. I mean, it was rare that I came across a Stargate fic that maybe backed out of. SGA had a really talented pool of writers, really talented. I mean, I think even more so than Stargate proper. Um, I agree, and. Um, I don't think I'd seen that since I moved out of the X-Files fandom in terms of the quality across the board of, of the writing. The other fan, I mean, there are fandoms, but I read them after Stargate, which was like, um, oh, the one that we talk about that we get so intimidated about the writing quality in. You mean Inception? Um, Inception. Inception writers are really good. But there's another fandom, and I'm blanking on it, where 
every time I read a fic in that fandom, I go, I'm just not qualified to write here. Um, <laughs> I know that feeling very well. I'm like, why do you guys got to name your fic in French? <laughs> you make me feel provincial. <laughs> right. Man, but I Inception just... has some really gorgeous writing. I mean, just fucking phenomenal. But I do think overall, from my fandom experience, personally, that the best writing I've encountered in fandom is in Stargate Atlantis. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce your your name. Yasult? Is that it? I'm going to go with that. Um, so Yasult said that some fandoms... Okay, Yasult. Some fandoms, when you come late, you get side-eyed because the fanon is so established. That actually is a real issue because sometimes the fanon is weird. And it makes a very little sense. Like in 911, there is this deeply entrenched fanon that Eddie can't cook. Like it is not just can't cook, but he is so I believed it. He is so incompetent in the kitchen that it like the kitchen almost spontaneously combusts just because he walks into it. And there's nothing in canon to support that. It's just a deeply, deeply entrenched can't fanon. Um, and it doesn't make sense to me, considering what a deeply devoted father that Eddie is, that he wouldn't be able to make food competently for his son. At least the basic fare, right? Yeah, at least the basics. I'm not saying he's a master chef. I'm saying he would at least be able to put together something besides a TV dinner for... I mean, but honestly, the man's from Texas. It, if he can't barbecue, he needs to go back to Texas to learn. That's right. Because somewhere someone messed up and let, let that man leave Texas without teaching him how to barbecue. <laughs> it's just it's just deeply unfortunate. But I did believe it. I did believe he was a terrible cook. But he there's nothing in canon. And that's why I just it's just a little note. It was just a little note and believer that Eddie could handle the basics because he I just don't believe that I don't believe for a second that he can't. I believe Buck is probably a better cook, but I don't believe that Eddie can't handle cooking for his kid. And burning water just means all that that means is that you let your pot run dry, and that's just not paying attention. That doesn't mean you're a bad Everybody cook. Everybody has done that, yeah. Right? I, thought, I mean, I I've the, done I thought, it. I let the pot run dry. It doesn't mean I'm a shitty cook. I've done it. I I can make my own damn bread, y'all. <laughs> that's just an inattention thing in the kitchen, you know. I've you know, in terms of inattention, I flooded my bathroom twice this year. Because I forgot that I left something with the water running in the sink and the, the overflow drain got plugged with the thing in the sink that I was filling the sink up to rinse out. And it just overflowed the entire fucking... And I forgot. And like three or four minutes later, this happened twice. And that's an inattention thing. It happens. My floor is the kit bathroom is very clean at this point. <laughs> very clean. Look, she was just trying to save some time. Take a bath, clean the floor. That's right. Take a bath yeah, the on the floor. <laughs> Are you on the top floor or the bottom floor? Bottom floor. Oh, that's good. <laughs> like right? You can literally give your neighbors a shower. And the honestly, worst thing I ever cooking like I ever did is I, um, I have a New Wave uh, air fryer. And I put some baked potatoes in there for 40 minutes. It, except I didn't put 40 minutes. Yeah. Ooh, um, four hours, huh? Yeah, and I caught it around. I caught it at around ninety minutes, and I was like, "Oh God, what did I do?" I made charcoal, <laughs> is what I did. 
Yeah. The worst thing I ever did in the kitchen was we were making refried beans and I forgot to put the salt in. Um, and the thing about making refried beans is if you don't cook them, if you don't cook the pinto beans with salt, you can't salt them later. And unsalted pinto beans taste like candle wax smells. And if you salt, if yeah. you salt them, they taste like salted candle wax. So it was bad. <laughs> it was just throw them out. It was just that's it. Exactly. You said how what... candle wax smells. So, <laughs> I said it's like it tastes like candle wax smells. So and it, like I said, in adding, you think you can just add salt and fix it, but you can't. You add salt, it tastes like salty candle wax. So it it's just throw it out. It's one of those it's things. Almost true of most beans. If you don't season before, yeah, it's too late it, after. There's no recovery. And the reason why that to me is my biggest cooking mistake is because the entire pot had to be tossed. And it wasn't under or overcooked. It was a seasoning mistake that resulted in having to throw the whole thing out. And this was for a big thing. So it was a huge, huge pot of beans. Oh, Willow. <laughs> <laughs> she had a popcorn volcano. <laughs> she was trying to enact that scene from um, Real Genius. I mean, that scene from Real Genius is ridiculous, but um, but I think we funny. used too much. I think we used too much. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's coming out the windows. I mean, it broke the house. I, I'm not sure that any <laughs> amount of popcorn can break the house. The worst thing I ever saw done in the kitchen, though, was my brother-in-law put... There was... He did, he did a load of dishes in the dishwasher. And there was no dishwasher liquid. He used dish soap. So he thought, I'll just put a little bit of dishwashing soap. In the dishwasher. So we had in that house two feet high of bubbles in the kitchen, spreading out into the living room. <laughs> My sister's house smelled lemony fresh <laughs> for months. Oh, yeah. Now, the biggest catastrophe I ever saw in the kitchen was not my catastrophe, but I heard it. And I had to deal with the consequences of it for for actually months and actually when we moved out we still were finding it which was you know those isi whipped cream makers you know i think i've no. talked about this on the product the little the like it's like starbucks you use where you pour some um you put, put your ingredients in it and then you charge it with you close it up you charge it with um an no2 canister oh, yeah. and you okay, shake yeah. it up and then it dispenses with cream it's like no effort anyway mm -hmm. So they have all these recipes for you can make mousse and all these different things in them. And it had a recipe. It was the holidays and it had this recipe for eggnog mousse. My mom and my sister decided they wanted eggnog mousse because they both love eggnog. And eggnog mousse should surely be great, right? So they put the eggnog in and they put the NO2 canister in and they charge it. And it said, I think, to use for mousse, maybe you should use two canisters. So they charged, double charged it. And they just, you know, they dispense it and they try it. They didn't like it. Now, I don't like eggnog, so I was not involved in these shenanigans. And they didn't like it, but they used the last of the eggnog to make this mousse. And they both were really unhappy with the idea that they've used the last of the eggnog. So they're like, can we recover some of the eggnog, oh, no. right? So they kept the canister upright and they dispensed, you know, they put a towel over it to try to catch any spurting. And they dispensed as much of the air as they could. And they thought that would depressurize it. Oh no! But they but but they double primed it, right? So then 
I, I'm, I'm not even in the room, and I hear this little explosion and screaming. Well, they took the lid off, and eggnog mousse exploded all over the kitchen. <laughs> it was. Three years later, it's still on the ceiling. I mean, we, they, the globs of this stuff, it went everywhere. I mean, it was under a pressure, right? So it went everywhere. And it was it was in globs and it was like in liquid. So it was like stuck to the ceiling and dripping from the ceiling. And it was like in the light fixture. It was like, so when we moved out, um, and it was a couple years later when we moved out, I was like, what is this crusty beige stuff? <laughs> it was like, I was like cleaning a cabinet. And it was like, we th- I thought we'd cleaned everything because we took hours to clean the kitchen but yeah that's the biggest disaster we've ever seen but making a kitchen was covering this and it was a huge kitchen this this house was like i don't know like three thousand square feet it was a big house so it had an enormous kitchen right and this entire kitchen was covered in blobs of eggnog <laughs> it was such a mess oh nuts i mean the thing is i went to the store to get some no2 and the lady there told me that I could use, they were out of NO2. And she said, oh, you can just use the CO2. And I'm like, are you sure? I mean, if, I didn't know, right? I was an idiot. I was like 18. And she tells me I can use CO2. She says, oh yeah, it's the same thing. And I'm like, but why do they sell NO2 if I can use CO2? And she says, don't worry about it. So I take the CO2 home and I make whipped cream. Yeah, carbonated whipped cream is not good. <laughs> it's it's just not, it's not the same thing at all. So I go back to the store with my now nine pack of CO2 can cartridges. And I'm sitting there drumming my fingers on the counter. And I say, I need to return this. He goes, well, we can't take it. Return them if you've used any of them. And I said, yeah, but she told me that these were NO2 and CO2 was interchangeable. And he went, this is the manager at this point. He goes, oh, no. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, let me tell you, carbonated whipped cream is disgusting. No one, no one needs whipped cream popping on their tongue like a soda pop. It's just wrong. <laughs> I have a soda stream. The first time I used a soda stream, I overprimed it. You think and... you, you think you need more pumps than you do? Like it says to use what two to three or something like that. My sister uses it, one. She says everything un- until it pops, right? Until it pop, pop, pop. So it pop, pop, pop. I thought, okay, but maybe I want some more carbonation. I like a lot of carbonation, right? So I did it again, pop, pop, pop. And I didn't read the instructions because I'm one of those people who assumes automatically they know how to use shit. <laughs> so you're supposed to pull it and kind of release before you untwist. This was in the instructions that I did not read. So instead of pulling it so that it kind of releases the pressure before you untwist it, I just untwisted it. So a half hour later, when I finished cleaning up the whole liter of Diet Coke that went everywhere, (laughs) I I sat down and read the instructions to try to get (laughs) Actually, it wasn't Diet Coke. It was just carbonated water because I didn't put the syrup in it yet. My sister has a soda stream. And when she first used it, it, you know, I'm sitting there reading these. This is how we often do things. One of us sits there and reads the instructions to the other so that the person who's doing it doesn't have to be bothered with learning how to use the thing. So I'm sitting there reading the instructions of the soda stream to her, and I tell her how many times to, to press the thing to get the soda. And she's like, well, I like my drink a little more carbonated. She puts a little extra right. in, right? Yeah, so she did, but she didn't explode anything. And then she adds her, she adds her, her stuff in, and she makes it, and she goes to drink it. She spits it right out. She's like, oh, my God. She puts one pump of soda in now because she's like, this is way too fizzy for me. She's like, three? What the hell? I'm not doing three. three. I didn't do one. She might have under syrup, which is my personal opinion. She uses those, um, 
Oh, what are they? Um, it's that bubbly stuff. It's um that uh, it's basically just flavoring your water. Uh, mm. So it's not actually any kind of syrup. Um, it's basically a water flavor. I, mean, I enjoy this other stream. That is next um, level, there, Lady Holder. <laughs> no, I think it's it's called bubbly. I think I think it's called. I think, it's, I think that's actually what it's called, bubbly. No woman or man has ever won the battle against dead yeast. If yeast is dead, it's dead. It cannot be revived. I tried to make Japanese pancakes. I like fluffy things. I thought it would be fun. But I didn't have my... I keep, I cook regular pancakes on medium. Right? Um, so... I put the pan on medium to cook, and I did the, and I piled, I, I didn't have a form, so I just did the little pile, and then I did another pile, and so I had a big fluffy pancake. And then you're supposed to put water in the pan to steam it, except my pan was too low, and it didn't steam, so I boiled my pancake. <laughs> I didn't boil it, I just kind of saturated it. It didn't work out, it didn't work out, and then I got really frustrated and quit, but... I really wanted one. See, aren't they beautiful? They are very pretty. Now I need to but, write. Now that Sin has said that, I need to write a Soda Stream disaster that Buck and Eddie need to save people from. <laughs> Everything I've been like, all my ideas lately have been angsty. It's been like really unnerving. I'm like, why is everything so angsty? I want to write fluffy stuff. I tried to write fluffy stuff. It didn't work out for me. I mean, it's just I know. you know, stress made us maybe. all cry. Sorry. Could be that. It could be that. I have been very stressed lately. I was at my dermatologist and she's looking at me. And she goes, Have you been stressed lately? And I was like, Yes. It's like, Shut up. I don't watch people been looking at me. I have rosacea and it gets, I get really red when I get stressed out. So when I go into her office and I take my mask off, she goes, Have you been stressed? And I'm like, Shut up. Don't look at me. Don't look at my red cheeks. <laughs> I'm, I made my sister laugh because, um, she comes, she comes walking into the living room. This was a couple weeks ago. And she said, oh, my God, you're really pale. And I'm like, there's no way in the world I'm pale. I have I have this redness that's chronic. I can't possibly be pale. She goes, okay, fine. The ring around your cheeks is very pale. And I said, are you saying I've got a pale? <laughs> are you saying I've got a pale? And so now that's what, that's, that's the exact phrase. So because I joked that I had a pale, she comes in and so she'll go, you got your pale again. <laughs> I um I have chronic anemia, and so when my iron gets low, I get these white lines on my face, like above my eyebrows and across my cheekbones. I just start to get. I mean, I'm already pale, but I also have a pink undertone, so I don't normally look like you know death warmed over. But when my iron gets really low, I get um I look, I look like a corpse. <laughs> it's like it starts there and it just slowly gets worse and worse and worse and so by the time I actually qualify to get an iron transfusion I am literally the palest woman in America <laughs> who's not an albino yeah I get um, one of the reasons I get really pale except for the where the rosacea is on my on my which most of my rosacea is right in the apples of my cheeks but when it gets bad it will spread like up my cheekbones and stuff um, is um, part of it is part of it is like I'm anemic but I'm not anemic like most people are anemic. I don't have low hemoglobin when, when my iron levels are low. Um, I just have low iron. So they always have to test my iron separately from my hemoglobin because my hemoglobin actually runs high. 
Um, I have um I have a ferritin issue. My ferritin um let's see I got a transfusion in October, and with my last results, my ferritin had decreased by half. So I am looking at another transfusion sometime in October. It can just be your pre-winter. Yeah, infusion, transfusion, same thing. Yeah. I am. Um, my doctor, actually, they want me to be a little bit iron deficient, but not too iron deficient. So it's like walking that fine line between, you know, do you have enough iron to carry oxygen and for your body to function properly and too much iron? Or actually would be sufficient levels of iron for most people. So they'll be slightly iron deficient. So it's like walking this very delicate balance of keeping me just a teeny bit iron deficient all the time. I've had six iron transfusions since um, I'm at for a while there. I was averaging two a year and now I'm down to one a year, but I cannot absorb iron um, through my food or through supplements. I can only get iron through uh, a bag. If you can't make your own, store-bought is fine. That's right. So, but it can be exhausting. When when your iron gets really low, it is, it is exhausting to even think about getting up. It is very tiring. And if it gets too low, you, you can't move oxygen properly, so you'll have a hard time breathing. And I have asthma, so I didn't always associate the breathing problem with anemia. Um, one thing I do know, I will start to crave extremely raw meat. Not raw for me. I'm, that's just never been a thing. But I will just, I will just start to not be able to think about wanting anything to eat but beef. It's like, could somebody beef. park a cow out back? You just, know, I mean, just bring me a cow. Just bring me a cow. Just me a whole cow. I, I cannot. If when I when I go past the meat department in the grocery store and my mouth waters, I think to myself, I need to call my hematologist. Right. <laughs> Something is not right. Now, I do tend to eat my steak medium to medium rare. But when my iron is low, I can eat my steak blue. Is that the right term? Yeah. Blue? Yeah. Blue. Yeah. Of course, the best thing I ever ate in my life was um, steak tartare. Uh, it was amazing. It melted in my mouth. Oh, my. It was so good. But that isn't the kind of thing that I would order just anywhere. You know, no. like I would, I would like to eat sushi, but only if I got to go to like Japan and with like a rock star chef. I mean, just like the top of the line, the best chef on earth kind of thing. But I would not eat sushi just from the grocery store or whatever. No, no. I like my, I like my, even I'm, I'm just not into rare, rare, even medium rare, really not for me. I, I, it took me a long time to come down off of well-done meats because I just had a real aversion to them when I was young. Um, so I eat my meat medium, my beef medium now. Um, and that's I don't I don't know it, it, I don't know that I'll ever get bloodier than that, even when I'm iron. But when I'm iron deficient, I find the food that um, one of the most iron-rich foods is malto meal. So I'll just have it for breakfast every freaking day. But it doesn't matter how much iron I put into my body and or the through my stomach, it's not going to do a damn thing. Yeah, you have a problem with dietary. I I don't I I have I don't have the level of dietary iron absorption issue that you do. I do some, otherwise I wouldn't be so iron deficient. Um, so I can eat as much iron in my diet as I want, and I will never 
have too much iron. Um, but certainly getting a sufficient amount of dietary iron can help keep me from bottoming out. I mean, that just looks delicious. Yeah, my iron levels. I, I just got my iron levels tested and my, my iron levels were low, so. But you guys are making me hungry, so stop. It <laughs> looks so good. Oh, my God. Um, but um, one of my favorite deli meats is London broil. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's so good. London broil roast beef. The boar's head. Melt in your oh. mouth. Oh, my God. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Highly recommend it. My favorite beef cut is um, ribeye, but it's often in most places that aren't really good restaurants. Um, the cut is too cut, tough for me. So um, if I'm not like, if it's not a really good restaurant, I'll usually get filet just so that I can deal, not have to deal with the toughness of most restaurants' ribeyes. It's like. On the thing- whole, if I'm going to, like, I will normally also get a filet, um, but I prefer a New York strip. But yeah. it's hard to get somebody to cook you a New York strip and get it right. Yeah, a lot of times they're overcooked, which even, I mean, I like mine medium, and I often get them. I'm like, this is well done. What the fuck? Because, I mean, you know well, what strip- I would also say is the the more done you order your steak, the worse cut of steak you're going to get. Because a chef isn't going to waste their really good cuts of meat on somebody who's ordering leather. Yeah. Because it yeah. doesn't really matter. Because it's going to taste the same, regardless. So if you order your steak well done, you're you're not getting a good cut of meat. I order my meat. I think the two most common temperatures are medium and medium rare. Um, I've gotten my husband down to medium. He'll eat a little under medium at home, but not in restaurants. But I really do prefer a New York strip. But normally, if I want a New York strip, I'm, I'm cooking it myself. Because, no. Oh, the best egg I ever have is a porterhouse, which, you know, is the strip, the ribeye, and the filet. It was, of course, I ate it over a period of three days. Because <laughs> it was as big as my head. What is this child? What, 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 what? Oh, that looks amazing. Oh, I've never had one of those. The, the Tommy Hawk. Oh, the steak. Tomahawk? Yeah. Tomahawk. I've never had one. I've always wanted to have one. I mean, I see them on menus, but they're stupidly expensive. I actually found the most difficult temperature to get when I was trying to transition down to eating my meat less well done. The temperature you could actually never get them to get right was medium well. I would agree. You can't get them. I mean, it's almost impossible. Medium well is something you get by accident. It's not something that you get on purpose because it's just, I think it's so difficult to get. um, In a lot of restaurants... I've kind of figured out how they're going to be. So, like, if I want a medium rare steak, I will order a rare steak. Because I know I'm not going to get a rare steak. <laughs> and if I want medium well, I order medium rare because they just, they're just not good at it. You know, it's just, so you just kind yeah, of if, if you If you, if you know they tend to over... Meal. If you yeah. know they tend to over or undercook. Um, and sometimes you can pick that. If you don't know the restaurant, sometimes you can pick that up from either reading the reviews or just listening to what people are saying at the tables around you. Like, wow, this is really undercooked or whatever. So, but yeah. But st- but beef is the only meat that I will eat at medium or medium rare. Everything else has to be well done. I will not I will not eat medium well pork yeah, or medium well salmon. Salmon stupid l salmon um you can say salmon with us we've heard it before (laughs) 
But I do. I, I, one of my uncles will eat it medium. I'm like, no. No. What's wrong with you? But he also eats sushi, so that's, you know, that explains that. So. Oh, I forgot you were a, re a recovering vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't, I just don't like pork. I know pork can be pink, and it's not a matter of the can or can't. But I just am not interested. The only time that I will allow pork to be pink is if it's been smoked, because it tends to turn pink when it smokes. Um, but it's still done. Um, I will not eat pork anything less than done, and I won't eat fish eggs for anybody or anything. <laughs> No. No. I don't care how much of a delicacy you say it is. <laughs> I have had tuna tartare and I have had sushi. So I mean I do eat some. I have had some raw fishes, but I, I am very fussy about where I will eat. Well you need to be. Yeah. I have to be careful with any kind of seafood sauce because they often put things in seafood sauce that I'm allergic to. So I gotta be super careful with that. I can't have oyster sauce because of that very reason. But that actually looks really good. I'm just not sure I could eat it. I love I mean, salmon. I, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I like salmon. Um, it's not, I don't really, well, I like it. It As far as fishes go, I like it. But I'm, I would say of the uh, meats I can see on a regular basis, fish is my least favorite. I mean, I was, of the fishes, I would say salmon, then um, uh, probably cod are my two favorite. <laughs> If it's I fresh, don't really enjoy a steaky fish, so I don't like tuna. Um, tuna is okay for me. I actually enjoyed the raw tuna better than I enjoyed tuna cooked tuna. Huh. Um, but it was a very expensive dish of tuna. I think that that little appetizer we had was like forty five dollars. That is ridiculous. Um, On the other side of it, I will not eat catfish for love or money. No, um, I don't like eating bottom feeders. Um, no. cod's a very good fish for fish and chips um, cod is the best fish for fish and I can deal with like bass but if it's like if it's fresh caught um, trout I, I can enjoy trout um, I don't enjoy no, I don't trout. enjoy tilapia it's tilapia is another bottom feeder I don't like it um, but Trout, um, if it, I don't, I, I've, I've not enjoyed trout like farm trout, but I've had trout, trout that was like fresh caught and it was pretty good. Now that we're all starving, <laughs> okay, I could see and farm all of cat. this happened because of Eddie's cooking. <laughs> Eddie and his inability to cook in Fannin, and Fannin, yeah, to go back to that Fannin thing, sometimes Fannin, like a pervasive Fannin, um can be really difficult for an author to deal with. And you, this is one of those things where you've got to be really confident in yourself and your writing to buck that trend. And I don't mean like bucking the whole Eddie is a cook thing. I don't mean that, but cause that's a really minor thing. And I think for the most part, people aren't going to care um, about that, but there are some fanons that are so deeply entrenched that people think they're canon and they will come after you for, for not honoring that. And that's really weird when that happens or when you see it in a comment section, somebody giving an author a hard time for, for taking a different approach to canon and ignoring an established fanon. Um, and so, yeah, when you go into a, a long established fandom and there's a really deeply entrenched fanon that almost everybody pays homage to, it's, it's difficult to, 
to break away from that. And especially if you, all the ideas you have are away from that, out of that lane, it can be like, do I really want to go there? Do I really want to buck the trend that everybody has been writing? I, I mean, there's so the same thing. Snickers bar. <laughs> there's some things. Um, um, there's a couple of stories where Buck is vegan, and the and the people write Buck is vegan because um, Oliver is is vegan. I I think that's a fine choice to make, but I actually personally don't think I'd make the choice for that reason. I, I wouldn't. I don't like up. to read fix where they focus on that kind of shit because it always comes off preachy. Right, right. But I, there is one that is cute. Um, have you read Have you read Buckaroo's Vegan Kitchen? That the one where he has a YouTube channel, where Christopher creates the YouTube channel, doesn't tell Buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's adorable. And I didn't it's feel adorable. like the I didn't feel like the veganism was preachy in that. Um, I thought it was cute, but yeah, I've read I have read stories where where the vegan there's and there's actually there's a Teen Wolf story where there's where everybody's vegan and it's like it comes off so diet and health preachy that it's just it just kind of ruins everything. they go on a trip yeah 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 i've read that fic it's like okay don't preach um, at me so you wrote tk eating eggs in a cookie and people yelled at you because tk is supposed to be vegan except the actor is vegan not the character right i imagine they wouldn't make the actor eat food contrary to his Dietary requirements right. during the well, course of the show, but no. But I'm pretty sure TK isn't a vegan in canon. Uh, Owen is though. The character isn't vegan because, um, character isn't vegan because um, he talks about uh, um, there's something about a burger in a conversation. Whatever. Anyway, I mean, I you know you do you, which recently I found out that actually means fuck you, but. <laughs> You do you. Um, but I don't... I think vegetarianism and vegan is a perfectly good choice to make for you. Um, don't make your animals be vegan. That's crazy cakes. Um, but the other side of it is, is I hate people who try to say being a vegan is better for the environment. I got news for you. The human existence is bad for the environment. And... Being a vegan doesn't make you better than those of us who eat meat. Because have you seen the news about almond production? And how many almonds it takes to make a single half gallon of almond milk? And how much water it takes? Honestly. Almond? Honestly. Shut the fuck up. About your environmentalism. Because you're not an environmentalist. You can be a vegan. But don't claim to be an environmentalist on top of it by saying you're a vegan. No. No, baby. No. I just That's my pet peeve. I, I, I got on a soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> but I just, I can't, I mean, I kind of personally, like, I did kind of stumble into, um, there's like a typical, we don't know when any of the, we don't know when any of the characters' birthdays are. I mean, like, they've avoided that, like, the plague. And it's right. clearly a deliberate avoidance that they have not told us when anybody's birthdays are um, after four seasons of 911. But it's pretty common fanon for um, Buck's birthday to be when Oliver Stark's birthday is. And um, I was debating about when um, 
Buck's birthday was going to be when I was writing the So Far series. And I said, well, my, my decision was I was going to make him, I decided what sun sign I was going to make him. And I said, I was going to make him a cancer. And um, that was my decision. So I went to go look up. Well, it turns out Oliver Stark is a cancer. So I just went, I just threw my hands up and went, fine, fine. Oliver Stark's birthday it is. Um, but that's not like I feel like I needed to pick that because it's a common fanon. But normally I would not pick up traits from an actor and put them on the character. I find that to be, um, I feel like people already blur the line between character and actor. And so putting the traits of the actor onto the character is something that makes me pretty deeply uncomfortable for the most part. But if you want to write dangerous. your, you want to write your character um, as a vegan, write them as a vegan, but don't do it because the actor is a vegan. And don't preach at me. Look, if, if you want to give me instructions about a lifestyle, I'd prefer it be sexual in nature. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> or, you know, you could pull something out of, you know, Yule's um, back pocket and teach me how to make bread or something. I don't know. But don't <laughs> be interesting. I honestly don't, don't go to fanfic to learn about dietary stuff. Um, <laughs> but those fics do come off very preachy and they're boring, to be honest. They are boring, repetitive, um, preachy, uh, I mean, and I'm just not here for it. Hannibal is not a vegan. I mean, <laughs> Hannibal is like the most removed character from veganism that it is possible to be. But honestly, I I think it's I think it's refreshing when I read a story where a character is a vegan and it's a background trait of that character that it's not like a big focus where it's not constantly talking about you know every single aspect of their meal and you know what grains they're having instead of meat it's like and bitching at other characters about their meat consumption right so i mean now look you can be on a diet all you want but i'm not going to diet with you okay right so you know i mean it, Writing, it's one thing for, like I said, it's one thing for that to be a background trait, but to pin the whole story on the character being vegan, except for Buckaroo's be Vegan Kitchen, which was really more about Christopher. <laughs> sort of, I don't know, lambasting Buck with a surprise YouTube channel that went viral. Um, but anyway, um, good night, Miss Aaron. It just came off very different in that story to me than most stories I've read where veganism was any kind of focus. So I thought it was really charming. Also, that author is really, really talented because I, I do not like the trope of uh, about Hanahaki. I think that's, I think that's what it is. I think that's how you, what it is and how you pronounce Where it. Where you throw up flowers when you're dying. Right. Um, from rejection. Uh, okay. Because they wrote a story because it's, it's just a disconnect for me. Like I wrote, read a story where they tried to explain what kind of like an endocrine dysfunction it was. And I was like, what? But in the, her story, she wrote it as a, it's a, because she wrote it as a function of magic and it's a soulmate universe. And that when you, um, something goes wrong with, uh, it's basically a, m a mistake in the soul bond. You get Hanahaki from it. And, um, the magic that causes soulmates, um, causes, um, Hanahaki's disease. Uh, and there is a cure for it. There's two cures for it actually. And, um, so it's not necessary. It can be terminal, but it's not necessarily terminal. But in any case, um, yeah, that's the one. But um, it was it was really it was it would kind of rip your heart out. But it was it was a beautiful story. It's the first time I've ever read that trope where I was like, oh, okay, this totally clicked for me. 
that she coupled it with soulmates and uh she's just really talented good author i like when they explain something like that with a magical element because magic is um it can be a very uh magical kind of lampshade when it comes to things like that like you can explain male pregnancy away that way um that concept which i'm not going to try to pronounce uh deus ex machina yeah i mean no i meant the flower disease oh hana hockey um yeah hana hana i I said i wasn't going to do it and then i tried hana hockey oh okay um i like the magical realism going on there i appreciate that um, it's a very thoughtful lampshade to put on top of a of a trope like that. It's it's, it's just, but a lot of times people don't even try to lampshade it, and it's like, come on now, give me something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need much, just a little bit, just a little something. Yeah, because normally bit. when I see Hana Hockey in in a in the tags, I won't read it, but she has a tag after she tags for Hana Hockey. It says Hana Hockey is tied to the soul bond, and I went, and I kind of head tilted, and I went, huh. Um, it's the story is called um, Catch Your Breath. It's her most recent story. Um, her story right before the, her she doesn't write very she doesn't post very often, but her story before that was one called Kiss It Better, which is one of my favorite um, of the of the like five K ish stories, which is the one where um, you I'm sure you've read this where um, um, Eddie I mean sorry Christopher asked Buck for a um, a Christmas gift for his dad because his dad is not happy. And whenever Christopher's sad, Eddie kisses it better. And so he says, feels like Buck needs to kiss it better. And that's what it's called is kiss it better. That sounds adorable. And I feel like I have read it, but I want to read it again. So I'm going to read it again. I, I skipped the one with, about the flowers because those fix make me sad. <laughs> well, it has a happy ending. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you that much. It's, it's got a happy ending. Night, Misha. Um, but yeah, I've I've never enjoyed. I've tried reading a couple of the Hanahaki things um, from from that didn't have this magical realism element to it, and um, and I saw that, and when I read it, it just kind of clicked. The connecting it to a soulmate trope, I was like, yes, okay, I can get behind this. This works for me. So, but I think I probably need to go to bed soon. It's bedtime. It's bedtime, y'all. I have to be up early. My mama's coming to get me. We're going to do stuff out of the house. On a Monday? I know. Fully masked. We've got masks. We're both vaccinated. Dude. dude. We're gearing up to do battle. You know, they only lifted the mask restrictions in Oregon for people who are vaccinated. Okay. Like in many places. But they don't got to prove you're vaccinated. All right, of course. It's, it's the honor system, which is stupid. Which is why... Because we, we live, we're working on the honor system, which is stupid. I don't go anywhere without a mask on. So I'm at the pharmacy yesterday where they give vaccinations. And this lady, she's like all up in my space um, at the counter where I'm talking to the pharmacist. And she's, and she's got no mask on. And she says, I'm here to check in to get my vaccine. And I was like, I looked, I looked dead at the pharmacist and I like jerked my thumb at her. And this is why I don't go anywhere without a mask on. Because this under- lady, I... I had to go to the doctors and there was this lady with her grandson sitting across from me and I'm wearing a mask and she keeps trying to ask this kid or tell this kid to ask me why I'm wearing a mask because they're not masked. Um, And finally he does. 
I said, because a lot of people aren't getting vaccinated because they're stupid. And I'm wearing a mask, even though I'm vaccinated, because I care if people live or die. Like you, you can't get vaccinated. So when people go around you without a mask on, they don't care if you live or die. Ooh. And he burst into tears and says, Grandma, why don't you love me? <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, how dare you? I said, how fucking dare you? I said, you've got this kid in a medical facility. 40% of the people in this room aren't wearing masks. He has no business being here. This is your appointment, not his. Because I signed in behind them. And I was like, so how dare you really bring out this child who's not vaccinated into a medical facility in the middle of a goddamn global pandemic. You don't have to wear masks in medical facilities? Not in the state, no. Wow, that's one of the things we still have to do is it's still required to wear a mask in any clinical setting. For which I am grateful. And she said, you're just awful. And I said, at least I'm not stupid. Right. And she moved to the other side of the room. With her, with her still crying kid. Grandkid. And I don't even feel guilty for making the kid cry. Well, she's the one who sent him over there to ask the question. You could have put that to him a lot worse than what you did. You said it to him actually in a very gentle way. I care about whether people live or die, so I keep my mask on. But the fact of the matter is, is they don't care. She don't. didn't care. She doesn't give a shit if he gets COVID. Because she thinks kids are immune. But they're not. No, they're not. And it's just... And neither it's really... are babies for the record, assholes. <laughs> Anyways, I'm, I don't mean to get on that... So boxes. I'm gonna talk about the pandemic. I know it's triggery. Anyway, it's just <laughs> the panorama. Well, y'all, it was fun talking. We haven't talked in a minute. Um, yeah, our schools are opening back up too, with no mass requirements. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've got time for that to get reversed because I think this is about to get a whole lot worse. I agree. So stuck up on TP. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Only a little bit, actually. You might need to do that. Might need or to stuck up on TP. That's what we did. We that's we we switched all the bathrooms out for bidet seats. It was like, I'm not I'm not going through another TP shortage. Get it? I honestly do not plan to ever stop wearing a mask. This is the first two years I have gone without getting a stupid head cold or the flu in decades. I got I mean, some cute masks. I'm gonna keep wearing them. I'm I'm so much healthier. I'm so much healthier. And if it if it just reduces my transmission of my my instance of getting flus and colds by fifty or sixty percent, I'll take it. Hello tushy. I kind of want a hello tushy. Oh, anyways, this is probably not podcast material. <laughs> I don't know that any of this was podcast material. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> See, but there probably should be a limit, and hello to she is probably it. I don't know. We've talked about some weirder stuff. All right, y'all. Good night. Fire extinguishers. Right? Exactly. I hope you guys were entertained and less bored by our activities, um, and uh, I hope you had a fantastic weekend, and uh, and that you're signing up for the Quantum Bang, because it started officially yesterday. Say good night, Jillian. Good night, everyone. <laughs>